Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jamie Baines. Today's guest is Dan Filardo, a former Richmond cop and current podcaster with his own YouTube channel. Dan reached out to me on Instagram because we have the same goals on our podcasts, promoting positivity. Dan and I cover a variety of topics to include policing in Richmond, his sobriety, and his outlook on life. Take a listen to our interview and let me know what you think. And welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Dan Velardo. How are you, Dan? Doing good, Jamie. Hi. Hey, so now, Dan, you also do a podcast as well, and that's how we kind of hooked up. But you're also a Richmond police officer for a little while, right, also? Um, also? Yes, that's correct. Uh, it's 2006 to about 2008, you know, I kind of jumped ship pretty quick from Richmond. You know, it's a tough city to work in, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> and what precinct were you with? Uh, 4th Precinct. I worked 413, but as you know, you kind of bounce around, you know, your whole uh, precinct, but and then was police work kind of not your cup of tea, or at least in Richmond, or how did that kind of work out that way? Yeah, well, when I worked, when I when I kind of figured out that Richmond wasn't going to be the place for me, it just didn't kind of kind of fit my schedule and my vibe, you know. I and it was a great department. Don't get me wrong, you know. I uh, was trained under Jody Blackwell and uh, Bill Wu, ninety eighth basic recruit class, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of those guys still work there, man. You know, so it's like, uh, um, it, it, it's just. Richmond was a great opportunity for me to learn, you know, some tough stuff about police work. And I did that for a year and a half. And then I went down to Colonial Heights. I did that for, you know, the Colonial Heights thing, maybe I think about six years until I just realized it wasn't for me anymore. So Okay. And did, did you get kind of burnt out on police work or how, what was the, um, I guess, what was the, what culminated for you? You want to just move on and do something else? Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I guess it just became a thing where I had to be honest with myself about how I was feeling about police work. Uh, I found myself, you know, I joined police work for a, a want to do good. And, I, you know, I, I guess it's a good opportunity for me to kind of explain why I even got into police work. If sure. you wouldn't mind. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania. We were a little west, maybe 30 miles west of Philadelphia. It's uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, pretty, pretty violent city. Um, I grew up on the south side of Reading. Uh, we had a family bar next to us called the Cozy Corner. My grandfather dropped out of uh, school in the sixth grade and kind of just lived on a farm. Uh, came a trucker and decided he wanted to open up this, this community bar. And uh, it was a row home, you know, and row homes are kind of stacked right against each other. Well, the bar was in one of them. Uh, I'm sorry, the bar was in two of them. And we lived in the one right next to it. So I saw all walks of life. You know, I grew up with that kind of like pounding of the music on the side of the bar. And just it was, it was an exciting life. But and it was a family bar, too. Right. So this is this is your grandfather who who ran it. <clears throat> so that's it's, correct. it's not yeah, just some random bar next to you. This is your family who's actually running this bar. Correct. So I basically had about, I don't know, <laughs> probably hundreds of influences, some of them good, some of them bad, you know, but. It definitely gave me a unique perspective into the criminal element. You know, uh, unfortunately, after years, my grandfather ran the bar very successfully. He kind of, you know, mental health started to dwindle and uh, his physical health started to dwindle. My mom took it over and, you know, wasn't really prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so uh, she, she began to, you know, sell drugs to, to run the bar. And I saw that. 
So just to and, sort of clear, your mom, your mom actually started selling drugs in order to run the yep. bar, or like to make money to run the bar. Is that right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. She she used that money to supplement, you know, any income that we had from the, uh, you know, bar profits. And um, unfortunately, with that, you know, she got caught up in that too, and wound up getting getting arrested. And you Did know, you guys know that she was. I mean, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Are you only child? Uh, I have one other brother. He is a younger brother. He's actually living with me down here now. He was homeless in, in Reading, and uh, we went up there recently and grabbed him up. So yeah, my one brother. Okay. And did you guys did she did you guys know that she was doing this at the time, or is this something that you found out later? Yeah, I definitely knew, and I'll tell you, um, I, I didn't like it. I, you know, sh- I would go to Goodwill to buy my clothes, and um, you know, I didn't I didn't appreciate it, and she knew it, and. I left. I actually joined the Marine Corps, and she uh, got arrested after I, you know, went into the Marines. And my, my, my brother had to deal with the fallout of that. The family did. And then the bar closed. The Cozy Corner was the name of the bar. It closed. And was and it, it, was more was than it just, successful under your mom? I know you said she had to sell the drugs. It, did, did it ever become as successful as your, when your grandfather ran it, or was it just kind of like a steady decline? It was a steady decline. I saw it from the time that my grandfather... Uh, couldn't run it anymore, and you know, my mom saw that bar being brought up from its foundations as well. But you know, she thought she knew how to run it. She just was not prepared for the complexities of running a business. So, and so you joined the Marines, and she had got arrested. Did she? Was it just that one arrest, and was did she able to kind of get turn stuff around, or how did it go from there? Yeah, the kind, the kind of the way that went down is she got arrested when I was probably just going into the Marine Corps, and she, um, it was kind of petty at first, you know, they got her with some marijuana, and then, you know, but I knew that there was heavier stuff happening behind the scenes, you know, and mm-hmm. she, uh, it ramped up, and it got outside of just marijuana sales, and, you know, you know, I mean, you know the game, you were a homicide detective. It starts with something simple, and it turns into something that is out of control, and because you don't see that evolution, boom, arrested. And what happened you know, with, and, with that, with the case and with um, with her? Yeah, she spent about five years in prison. She went Wow, up, uh, five years? Yeah. Golly. Yep, <clears throat> yep. That's, that and, that and honestly, and I told her this, yeah, I told her she got a deal, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um because along with the drug sales, there's a criminal element. And, you know, there, there was some some folks that were just not the people that needed to be in that that in her life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so uh, it just gets out of control for people, you know. And I was so mad when she got arrested. At you know, and her I knew or that, at the police? Oh, my God, at her. At her. I, mm-hmm. I, look, I did the first, my first running with the police i was probably about 10 years old and my dad got me one of those ridiculous you know red rider bb guns uh-huh. you know you'll shoot your eye out that deal from right. uh, a christmas story and um i was in my backyard shooting cans and a police officer went up on this like landing that was at the back of the bar and looked down somebody must have called about it and i ran <laughs> you know i was like the heck am i gonna so i ran you know and of course, I was young. I wasn't thinking. He comes to the front of the house, and you know, he he had a pretty cool talk with me, and it kind of changed my views on police officers. And my mom—that's the thing. My mom loves police. Always has. Always. So. <laughs> Did she bear any grudges once she got arrested against the police, or no? Absolutely not. Absolutely awesome. not. You know, and there's actually 
one of the things that I'm really kind of starting to get into, uh, I, I, you know, <sighs> Jamie, we need to start talking about guys like us that see police officers in a different light. You know what I'm saying, dude? Because nobody would have looked at me, a pretty hard target police officer. I was fair, though. I was always fair. I believe that, you know. But nobody would look at me and say that guy, his mother was arrested for selling cocaine and did five years in a state penitentiary. Because people make assumptions about police officers. Correct. Correct. And, you know, dude, we're people. We're people mm-hmm. with backgrounds. We hurt. We hurt. We, we think. We love. It. You know, and the reason I'm doing this, Jamie, is because, first off, I see all of my friends. I still have a, a family member that's a police officer. Um, I have friends that I still talk to. I believe you know um, Anthony Jackson, mm-hmm. Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. We, we've chatted about some of the efforts that I see you putting forward and that I'm putting forward to get people out of the mindset that police officers are all jerks. It's and, not true. And now, t- now explain something. Now explain about what your podcast does because, um, again, we're both putting positive messages out there. So explain a little bit. What's the name of your podcast? And you actually put yours on on your video and right these are um people can go to youtube and check out your channel and your podcast as well and actually see you talking right yeah so you know the the vision behind that podcast the podcast is called cozy corner mm-hmm. ftl feed the love cozy corner feed the love and we're just on youtube right now we're we're growing um and uh, the reason we called it the cozy corner is that's actually the name of the bar mm-hmm. that my uh my grandfather opened and You know, you you picture a corner bar as kind of a dive. No, my grandfather held that place down and people came. It was a community hub. A lot of people came there, didn't even drink. You know, they just talked. And I remember being there with all those amazing people learning all this stuff. That's what the podcast is. And it's kind of funny that, you know, I named it after a bar because I am about, I don't like to put too many labels on it. I'm about 15 months sober um, uh, from alcohol. I'm off alcohol. And you know, police work was a lot of what, what dug me into that dude. And How is podcast that? is can me. You, can you talk about that a little bit? How did police work kind of put you on that route or keep you on that route? Well, I, I think what happened, honestly, we're, we're still piecing all that together where it really, really went wrong. But when you go into police work with this urge to do good things and uh, it's tough, it's a tough thing to do because of a lot of the cultural and social stigmas around American police officers. Um, and you start to get a little devoid of hope and you start to see enough bad things that you just want to bury that stuff, you know, that, that all of those emotions and police officers love fellow police officers because we're constantly going through that same struggle. And we all, you know, probably mostly in our younger, I won't say all, a lot of us turn to drinking because it's easier to turn to that than to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, and I became one of those guys and it became a cycle, you know, a five, six year cycle where it just was like, I didn't even see that I was burying stuff, you know. Um, Had you been a drinker and, before uh, at all, like recreational drinker prior to becoming yeah. a police officer? Did it just get more intense and worse, I yeah, guess? Yeah. That's pretty, well, you, you, I just, I didn't realize what I was doing to myself or how much I was drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, until I stopped drinking, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I was recreational drinker before that. Um, and then it just, you lose control of that, that, that ball. 
the ball's in your hand and you can, you know, bounce it and shoot the ball and, you know, get a hoop. But, you know, I was just traveling with it. I was just holding on to it, man, you know, and it, 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 you got to – it's hard. What was your aha moment? What said, you know what, Dan, I, to yourself, I need to I need to do something. I need to get sober. What was your uh, – what was the catalyst for it? Uh, probably more the way that my kids and my wife were looking at me than anything. You know, I started to realize that, <laughs> that I, I had become a different person to them. Um, Did they tell you that, or was it – more subtle or uh it took about even while i was drinking it took about two years of running and meditating and reading and finding it finding dan Velardo first before i could actually even be in a place where i could see my wife's face and my children's face the way that i needed to quite honestly so it was two years of kind of me psychologically i mean my wife was there 100 percent, mm-hmm. but you have to, i had to get through my own stuff you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. when i got through my own stuff and realized that the kids that were looking back at me were not the same kids that were looking back at me before i was a drinker that's when i changed and and my self growth through my meditation and my everything that i had to do is what was the catalyst for that and a psychologist i see a psychologist once a week it's uncomfortable going and talking to people about this stuff mm-hmm. but it's the only way that we can destigmatize the impacts of mental health on our society and on our person. we got to get past it. That's why I talk about it. And do you talk about that on your podcast as well? Yes, I do, with my 14-year-old daughter, because there's nothing more beautiful in my life right now than the way that we are healing, and that is through the podcast. It's actually stretched <laughs> past my home. I will tell you that we're at a point, my wife and I both quit work Mm -hmm. and uh, we did that because of honestly, just, we realized how ridiculous our lives have gotten, obviously with the alcohol and everything. Once I snapped out of it, it was like, we got, I got to get everybody out of this trench that I've dug, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why the podcast is me healing with my daughter first, (laughs) you know, and it's turned into a studio. Uh, We haven't actually built the studio yet, but studio V we have enough interest and demand that, I would love to have you on. Actually, we've talked about that a little bit, but we want a studio first, so we're 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 making plans for that, you know. Uh, and and the reason that we've waited so long is because I had to heal with my my immediate family first in my house, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then through the podcast, they hear all my messages, you know. And we actually opened the studio, Studio V. We went and we represented Studio V at this beautiful event in Pennsylvania. When I went up to do some further healing with my family, I mean. We've had hard talks, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Hard. Um, and those are necessary, aren't they, Dan? You really need to are. have hard talks. You can't, if you pussyfoot around, um, you don't solve the problem. That's correct. And, you know, what we are incorporating into the podcast now that you mentioned, you know, uh, talking about it is we've kind of gotten past to like, Hey, let's get everybody to see the show. And we, we you know, we have 124 subscribers and I don't, it's not even about that, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious to get the message out that like, Hey, I was in hell. I was in my personal hell. I want to grab you out. That's why I get, you know, I'm trying to get people fall in love with us. Mm-hmm. We love you. Our family is ready to show you guys that it's not all bad, man. What do you, for th- those of you, you that you are out the, there? Why do you think the bad sells more than the good, Dan? Uh, it's exciting and fun, and it's it's easier and it's cheaper than confronting the good. Um, well and, and you know, I didn't. Ex- well said. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't expect that in my sobriety, dude. Uh, that now, you know, I had really poor relationships with my father and my mother, and 
uh, I noticed my fa- so my father doesn't mind me talking about this or my mother. They were both, you know, alcoholics as well. My my um, father has had a liver transplant. Uh, he actually owns a tattoo shop in Reading, Pennsylvania, which started in our basement. So our our home, dude, was like a hub of business. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, you're a bunch so, of a family of entrepreneurs. Yes, yeah. So uh, my my dad does that. It's a successful business. My mom actually helped him start it, and you know he uh, he's owned and operated that business for I want to say like oh geez, how old am I? Uh, <laughs> I'm 25, 30 some years, man. And you know it's uh, yeah. Man, it, it, the podcast is healed with them. And actually, there's an episode on there with my mom, dude, where, you know, she had come down here and we were going to record and she got to a, a, a place where her liver was not doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was starting to have uh, heightened ammonia levels. And we had to rush her to the hospital. And instead of enjoying her time when she was down here visiting in Virginia, we had to figure out, like, are we going to have to transport her body back up? So obviously, all of do I, I mean... When you have a dad that's had a liver transplant and a mom that's liver's failing, I think it's a little bit of a warning sign to wake the hell up <laughs> right. and to stop drinking. You know? <laughs> might be but, a yeah. might be a sign. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, my grandfather, you know, he had alcohol problems too, and you know, and we, my my daughter and I talk very candidly about my alcohol problems, and and you know, I don't I don't even tell people they shouldn't drink. That's I cannot drink anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, dude? Mm-hmm. I can't drink, but you know. I don't, I don't make a taboo for my kids. It's culturally acceptable to, to consume alcohol. And I, I, if they can handle that, then they can handle that. They'll be adults someday too, you know? So we talk about that on the show and, and my mom's episode. Oh my God. You know, I call her, we, you know, recorded it down here after she was almost dead. I, and I do all my edits. Mm-hmm. So it was my wife and I do all the edits. My wife's Crystal Levalardo. She was actually a Chesterfield County mental health service worker. Nice. We love our community. You know, so uh, the podcast is beautiful and amazing. I, I I ramble on Jamie, but it makes me an easy interview. Is it? <laughs> no, 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 not, no, not at all. Is it a, is it hard for you to stay positive, or have you found it become easier? And what kind of feedback do you get from your subscribers and people who who watch your podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> it isn't easy to stay positive. And, you know, uh, I will tell you that it's all about mindset and I spend every morning, you know, cause I am still healing too. I spend every morning thanking, you know, God or the universe or whatever you, whatever you do, whatever your thing is, I, I, I wake up and say, thanks for another day. First off. And, you know, I was an atheist too. I, I've actually, you know, only, only three months have I, have I even been in touch with my faith as well. Um, and uh, that's how long the podcast has been around. This this was a shotgun. Let's do this, and it's turning into something great. But uh, I stay positive through subscribers. You know, honestly, knowing that people are out there trying to trying to hear this message, mm-hmm. and the subscribers that I do have reach out to me and say they share their struggles, and some of them aren't even with alcohol. You know, uh, friends have reached out. Uh, you know, I, I've started tapping back into my community of friends now that my family's healed too. You know, uh, knowing that they don't hate me for who I was, that keeps me going. The comments, honestly, on I, I get more comments personally <laughs> than on YouTube, uh, like on the actual public YouTube page, which mm-hmm. I love because that's what this is about. I've Pulling seen the comments. The comments are very, very positive and very, very yeah. grateful yeah. for the message that you're putting out there. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, I love it. Cause it keeps me going. It recharges my battery, but I try not to take it too personally mm-hmm. because 
they, they feel good. But I'm a, I, I am, I don't want to use perfectionist. That's not the word. I, I know there's a lot of, of my friends and family out there hurting, man, that I just, uh, and strangers. That's the thing. My love is overpouring to the, to the, to the point that I can even welcome strangers into my life, you know, and, and it, that's happened to me too. And I just want to shake everybody and say, even if you aren't a drinker, if you're not thinking right with the positive mental attitude that you mentioned, I'm going to shake you awake, man. That's what the podcast is for. Wake up. Well, I think you want to bring everybody in. You want to try to, I think the, the key is just spreading the positivity because I think more people want to be positive yes. than want to be negative. And we don't know how, dude. Exactly. We don't know how. Because all the media, well, not all the media, most of the media and just the entertainment industry points toward a negative because if, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, clickbait, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's you're cheap. right. So it's easier to find the negative stuff. Yeah. And fall yeah, and into that and trap. It is. And it's, it's honestly, it's, my wife always keeps me, my wife helps me stay positive because sometimes I go back to my old ways of thinking, you know what I'm saying? Where I'm like, well, uh, what, what the hell, why can't you be positive? Well, now I have to remember that I was that guy that wasn't positive. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like, uh, I get it. I get it. I've been in hell and there's no peeking through that veil, but from time to time, you can hear a voice, and that's what I believe that podcasters like you and I are. We're that voice to, to kind of help people just understand a new perspective on any portion of their life. It doesn't have to be police work. It doesn't have to be healing from sobriety. It's a new perspective. Very well said. Very well said. What advice would you give to, um, to I guess, really anybody, Dan, anybody having a hard time <clears throat> Excuse me, dealing with um, family dealing with drinking, you know, cops dealing with what? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it's like a yeah. a comet going by. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I, I, I'm a walker. I get a lot of nervous that's no, energy, so that's no problem. Yeah, they, they think I'm sitting somewhere. No way, Dan's out so there walking. No, that's yes, fine. Got a that's lot of fine. work to do. <laughs> what would your advice? Just what would your kind of advice be to people who are having a hard time? And I know it's it's a, it's a broad statement. But you yeah, make yeah. a lot and, of really good me, points. Yeah, let me let me sit here. If you're having a hard time, I'll tell you, I had a hard time this week, and I'll tell you what I did. We uh, after we went to the event up in Pennsylvania, it was actually a charity, and I, I the charity is Red Corner Benefit, um, and it's for childhood cancer. They've been doing it for about twelve years. This year, uh, the recipient family, um, their their baby, their her name is uh, Ellie. She's two years old, and uh, you know, she's battling cancer right now. And we went up, Studio V went up to capture this event. And, um, you know, it, it wound up raining. And usually they have 3,000 people there. And unfortunately, uh, it was rained out and it was a bummer. But I, what I will say is that coming back from that beautiful, uh, sincere, heartfelt event and, and all the survivors were there from previous years that have survived and the parents of the non of those that had passed away were there. And we all came back. The entire family came back after this beautiful night of bands and fireworks and, and healing with my family. And it, it just was like the culmination of all this hard work that we've done. And we had this like, holy crap, we're different people now. And with that, with the shedding of that skin comes anxiety because you're like, is this new person going to work? So we've actually been down for the count for a week recovering and talking through what happened. And I was very anxious. I had an anxiety attack on the way up there. Uh, and when I got back, um, after, 
the excitement and the amazing weekend where I had, and I went and healed and did all these great things. I was like, what next? So for the first time in my life, I was confronted with a new understanding of my emotions to include my anxiety and a bit of depression in there. And my dad gave me amazing advice. Oh, red, red, red corner benefit org. by the way. I do not want to forget that. They, gotcha. they, need, they need help. And I hope you don't mind me kind of plugging not that, but it was, not at all. it was special to us. It was very special to us. And of course it's special to the family if anybody can donate, but I, I, you know, it's really funny in healing with my father um, and starting to talk about, you know, all the things that hurt us in the past. You know, I, I explained to him that I, I struggle with anxiety from time to time. And I said, I asked my dad, finally, I got to a place where I could, I felt comfortable enough and trusted him enough where I could say, well, how do you cope with it? He said, all you do is you got to sit with it. You know, so if you are dealing with these problems, you know, anxiety, depression, sadness, overwhelming happiness, it doesn't, if you have an overwhelming emotion, sometimes, I mean, pretty much all the time, our natural inclination as human beings is to go and try and solve that. Mm -hmm. My dad said, just sit with it and let it pass through. He said, if you can't address it, just let it sit and pass through until your brain can process. And my wife had been telling me that. My mom had been telling me that. My brother, everybody. But it took somebody like that. I have not had this amazing relationship. It took me asking and opening up for him to do that. And now we share songs every day. We share books. So the human connection is also super important. Reach out to those you trust. And then once you get those that you trust helping you, you can help others and you can, you know, once you've healed, I should say, once you've healed, then you're, you can do what I'm doing. It feels great to be awake and to, to just, just push through and then look for help. Psychologists, happiness, things that make you happy, songs that make you happy. Even if you're not feeling them, they're there for you. That's it. That's a lot, Jamie. I, I just, I, you know, I, I have to do these things every day. So it's familiar to me. Very very well setting and i know i said that before but like you said that's what people need to hear dan they need to hear that there is a that there is a solution that there is a way out and that there's a way to deal with what they're dealing with i agree well man i really appreciate the time you took talking to me are you going to come back and talk to us again Absolutely. And, you know, I, once we get this studio up and running, you know, we uh, you, you will be one of the first folks on my show. Um, I love what you're doing. I love what we're doing as former police officers. And we're really taking those skills with the community and the people that we've we've learned from and we're applying it the right way. And you should be proud. And I'm proud. Absolutely, man. Hang in there. We're going to get through it together. And like I said, get the positive slot, you know, flow just going. Yes. Yes, absolutely, Jamie. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. You too. All right, man. I'll see you. Bye. All right, bye. That's it, guys. What'd you think of our conversation? Dan's got a ton of courage for being able to discuss the arrest of his mother when he was younger, how he had to dig himself out of the ditch that his drinking created for he and his family, and his weekly visit to speak with a psychologist. Admitting that you need help is hard enough, but to actually go and see a psychologist to talk about your problems takes courage to a whole other level. Make sure that you check out Dan's YouTube channel, Cozy Corner FTL, as well as the Red Corner Benefit, which is a nonprofit organization that supports the fight against childhood cancer. Their website is redcornerbenefit.org. Stay positive, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.